Good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater Vestal. My name is Brett, and I'm one of the pastors at Bridgewater. It's great to be here with you today on this uh, rainy yet warm day, and it looks like the rain has stopped. So I, I've found that I can have a picnic even when it's raining, though. I know. Crazy, huh? Sometimes food is worth it. <clears throat> but it's great to be here. We have a brand new series today that we're going to start on prayer. And I, I, I think prayer is one of the most underutilized tools that God gives us. And so we're going to talk about it today. I, I, I guess I'm just going to leave it there. I, I watch the news. I watch the world. It's not true. I don't really watch the news. I, I listen to the world. I hear famous people saying that they think prayer exists. You'll see a tweet sometimes that says, my thoughts and prayers are with you. Or some owner of a sports team will say, our thoughts and prayers are with them. Don't really know what that means to them. But at least people know that prayer is out there. So we've got three weeks. We're going to learn a ton about prayer. Today we're going to talk specifically about what do we do when we pray and 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 we feel like there's no answer. Like, what's going on there? My wife and I bought our first house back in 1999 next to some great neighbors. And we met them, oh, probably the first day we were there. They became great friends of ours. We became great friends of theirs. <clears throat> they... Uh, quickly found out that we were church people, and I was a pastor, and they quickly told us that they were not church people and did not ever want to go to church, um, which we just began to pray. I thought, well, okay, we got an opportunity, let's start praying for them. Um, over the course of time, a few years later, uh, the, the lady and, and two, they have two girls, and the two girls said, hey, we'd like to come to church with you guys. Like, Sweet. We can show you where it is. And uh, so they did. Over time, uh, they became followers of Jesus and even got baptized at the church. And we were excited about that. We're like, yeah, that's awesome. But the guy, um, we'll call him, doesn't matter, we'll call him Steve. Um, he did not. In fact, he, he looked me right in the eye one time and said, we were burned by church. They came and told us we have to give a lot of money. And I said, I'm never going to church ever again. He said, I was, a, I was in high school when that happened. He was probably 55 at the time. He said, I haven't been back since. Huh. So I made it a project that I was going to start praying for him every day. <clears throat> it has been 22 years. I'm still praying for him. We're still friends. In fact, we still, we still connect a few times a year. I have had dozens, if not hundreds, of spiritual conversations with him. And he is very open and we are very good friends. Why aren't my prayers working? What's wrong with that? 22 years why doesn't my mom's cancer get healed? You know, you start thinking about prayer, and, and so we're going we're gonna to talk about prayer 
in the series. Specifically today, we're going to look at a passage in Luke chapter 18, because I, I think prayer is, prayer is a, a tough one to understand. In fact, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the 12 disciples, they were even questioning prayer, trying to figure out what is this thing called prayer. So Luke 18 is where we're going to go, and Jesus is teaching. He's traveling around um, in, in Luke 18, uh, and he takes an opportunity to talk to his followers, his disciples, specifically about prayer. And here's what he says in Luke 18. So Luke 18, beginning with verse 1, it says, uh, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Okay, apparently, apparently that was something they didn't understand. You're supposed to pray and never give up. Well, he told them a story. A parable is just a story to explain it. So here's what he said. Jesus said, a certain, In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Okay, so we've got two characters. We've got a judge who doesn't care what people think and doesn't care what God thinks. So kind of a jerk. Just selfish, power-hungry jerk. That's what it seems like in the text. And then we've got a widow Now, a widow who just wants to stop being oppressed by her adversary. Now, in the Bible, there are some specific instructions about how we're supposed to treat widows. And and in, in Bible times, a widow would be someone who has no kids, no husband, no family, because they were supposed to be the support structure. But if you are defined as a widow in the Bible, you have nobody that you can count on. So, so this, this lady has no one to turn to. <clears throat> she is probably on her last resort, and she has chosen to go before this judge and say, please, 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 please help me. <clears throat> I'm being oppressed, and we aren't told how. So this judge, who doesn't love people and doesn't love God, it's a part of this. So here's what happens in verse 4. For some time the judge refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And that word attack me in the Greek, that really probably is better, better defined as she won't wear me out. The judge basically is saying, I don't care about this woman, this this widow. I I don't care about her. (laughs) However, she is annoying me to no end. (laughs) She she keeps coming into my courtroom. She keeps making a stink about somebody who's bothering her or somebody who's oppressing her. I just can't take it anymore. I don't love her. I don't love God. (laughs) But I just want to make it stop. So I'm going to just give her what she wants. Because eventually she's going to wear me out. Like she, she is just going to kill me with her constant badgering. Please help me, please help me, please help me, please help me. 
I need help. I need help. They're oppressing me. They're oppressing me. He's like, fine, woman, just get out of here. That was his attitude. Here's what God says about clarity in, in verse 6. Then the Lord, then Jesus said, Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus said, even the wicked, selfish judge finally answered. How much more would a loving Heavenly Father want to answer our requests? So he was was actually comparing the judge to God, but in opposite ways. Saying, "Our, our God is not anything like this wicked judge. Our our God, how much more? Even the wicked judge finally capitulated. Even the wicked judge finally said, fine, I'll help you. How much more would a loving Heavenly Father want to help us? He uses an interesting word here. He says, uh, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? His chosen ones, that's a That's an interesting word to describe people who are followers of Jesus. Basically, in the New Testament, chosen ones were followers of Jesus. So, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a chosen one. And Jesus says, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Would he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. So, here's my premise for this sermon. God does answer every prayer. The the problem I have is he doesn't always answer the way I want. So we're going to look at four ways that God answers prayer. But he does answer every prayer. First, the first way he answers prayer is the way I like it most. He sometimes says yes. <clears throat> he sometimes says yes. Sometimes when I pray, God shows up. And it's a huge yes. I'm sure you've probably heard stories about people who've, who've prayed and God has shown up. There's a, there's a man called George Mueller. He, he uh, ran an orphanage over in England. <clears throat> Didn't have any food. In fact, they were out, completely out. Like, this was it. And as the story goes, all the little orphans sat down and said, what are we going to eat? And he said, we're going to pray. God will provide. <clears throat> they prayed. Apparently, while they were praying, there was a knock at the door. The guy said, yeah, I, you know what? I just broke down. <clears throat> my, uh, my horse got lame. I've got this whole wagon of food. It's going to go bad. Would you guys want it? If you can get it and bring it inside, you can have it. Whoa. So we've heard of answers to prayer like that. 
Daniel in a lion's den, and Daniel gets thrown in with the lions and, and prays, and God shows up, and he closes the lion's mouths. We've heard of those prayers. You and I may have experienced those in our life. In fact, I have a, a whole blessing box at home that I showed you a few weeks ago. And in there, there are a bunch of little mementos that we remember God's answers to prayer, his faithfulness in our lives as a Bixby family. And, and each little piece in that blessing box reminds us of another time when God showed up and answered yes. See, God loves to answer yes. Sometimes we don't do a great job of remembering that he's answered yes. Because usually I'm fixated on the request I'm asking now. And I quickly forget about the thousands of times God has said yes. Unless we keep track. With something like a blessing box. <clears throat> Unfortunately, God doesn't always answer yes. Sometimes God's answer is no. These are the ones I don't like. Let's be honest. Who likes being told no? I have several children, more than several. None of them like being told no. We have two foster children. <clears throat> they also don't like being told no. I don't have a single child that likes being told no. <clears throat> Who am I kidding? I don't like being told no. What do you mean I can't go through this lane of the toll booth because I don't have an easy pass for New Jersey? I don't like being told no. What do you mean the bridge is closed? I'm going to keep going just in case I can get around it. <laughs> no. I don't, I don't like being told no. If you're a parent, though, you know, as well as anyone, that sometimes answering no is the best answer you can give. In the last 48 hours, here are some questions I've been asked at my house that I answered no to. This will give you a slice of my life, all right? Maybe too big a slice, so don't judge, please. Can I buy this candy at the checkout register? No. Can I jump on the trampoline naked? No. No. Can I put this knife in my mouth if I'm careful? No. No, you can't. This is from my 10-year-old. Are you ready? Can I drive the truck over to Avonlea's house if I'm really careful? No. And this was the follow-up. But dad, I can reach the pedal like that was the problem. I had another one. I didn't even write it. I wrote it down and I, I deleted it because I thought this, I will get arrested or something. I don't know. One of my kids that just, just bought a, a 410 shotgun and this was the question. Can I shoot it at James if he stands way far out in the field? No! What am I raising, a pack of wolves? No! 
I don't enjoy saying no to my children, but, but as a parent, I recognize there are times when the answer no is the best answer we can give. Because we recognize the harm that may come if we say yes. We recognize the consequences that may come if we say yes. We recognize maybe that there are two opportunities, but one of them will get shut down if we say yes. And so we say no because we think there are better things. And yet when God says no to my prayers, somehow I forget that he knows better than I do. And I get all hot and bothered and offended because God said no to my request. But let's be honest, I think sometimes our requests would cause us harm. My dad said one time to me, be careful what you pray for because God might just give it to you. I, I, wonder, I wonder how many times God has said no to me in my life that if he had said yes, it would have killed me that I don't even know about. I just wonder. You know, that, that girl you prayed and prayed and prayed that she would marry you, and she didn't. And then you meet the woman that God wants you to marry, and you say, oh, thank you for the no. That house you really, 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 really want to buy, and God says no, and you're like, I don't understand it. Why doesn't he want to give me any good thing? And then later on you realize, oh, God had a much better plan. See, God answers no, <clears throat> sometimes because he recognizes it's, it's just not best for us. I wrote this down. God, God loves us too much to give us what we want because he knows oftentimes where it will lead. See, God says no sometimes because it, it will cause us harm, but oftentimes, other times he says no because my motives, our motives are wrong. James talks about that. James chapter 4, verse 3, it says, when you ask, you do not receive. So when you pray, you, you don't get what you're asking for. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Selfishness is a sin. Sometimes God says no to our prayers because our motives are not good. <clears throat> and it may not even be what we're praying for. It may be how we're praying or why we're praying. And James says... Oh, no, no, that's another way we get a no. In Psalm 66, David says, your prayers are not heard because you have sin in your life. Oh, so sin is a block. Sin is a ceiling. Sin is a no. I wonder if sometimes God says no to me um, because he knows that if he gave me what I wanted, I wouldn't have to be as dependent on him. And God wants me to be dependent on him. 
yeah, Brett, I'd, I'd give you complete health, but you know what? Your in-health is exactly what you are dependent on me for right now, and that's exactly where I want you right now. Yeah, Brett, I would give you, I would give you financial wealth, but, but you know what? Your financial situation you're in right now is exactly where I want you because you are completely dependent on me right now. Yeah, I would give you exactly what work situation you want in your life right now, but it's not a bad thing you're asking for, but you're so dependent on me right now with your schedule, with your family. Yeah, I would bless you with more children right now, but you are so dependent on me right now with your, you, know, you just think about all the different times in our lives when we've been very dependent on God, and then when you look at the prayers I'm praying during those times, I'm acting like I want to get out from dependence on God. But that's exactly where God wants me. So God answers yes sometimes. We love that. God answers no sometimes. Don't like that as much. All right, two other ways God answers. He answers uh, not now. He answers not now. And this is, feels like a no sometimes to me, but it's not. It's just a not now. Because God's timing is different from our timing. Look at that verse 8 of uh, Luke 18 again. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, I, I tell you, God will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? See, when, when God says not now, do, do I stop faith? my faith in God? Do I stop praying? Faith keeps us praying even when the answer is delayed. And Jesus said, you know, when I come back, will I find a bunch of people praying, like in faith, constantly praying and praying, or will you have given up? Because sometimes the answer is not yes right away. Sometimes it's not now. How much faith do I have in my God? How much faith do I have in my prayer? Do I have enough that I will pray for 22 years for my neighbor to become a follower of Jesus? Or will I just give up? That's not going to happen. Move on. God's looking for a persistent prayer. <clears throat> There's a man named uh, Bob Goff. He wrote a couple books. Um, in one of his books, he wrote this story about persistence. He said, I, I wanted to be a lawyer so I could make an impact on the world, which meant I needed to graduate from a law school. With no defensible case for admission anywhere, I still decided I wouldn't take no for an answer. I knew the law school I wanted to attend, so about a week before class started, I went over with a, to the great big hall with the dean's office in it and the administrative staff. I introduced myself at the front desk and they seemed pleased to meet the person who had been phoning them incessantly to confirm that indeed he really didn't get in. I walked to the dean's large door, knocked, sheepishly entered the austerior room covered with bookshelves and intelligence. The dean of the law school stood up and greeted me with a reserved but polite formality that fit his position and title. He shoved his hand forward confidently, like they said in, say in the books to do, and introduced himself. Hello, I'm Bob Goff, and I applied to get into your law school. I applied because I want to be a lawyer and make a real difference in the world. The dean smiled politely, 
didn't say a word, and remained standing. Apparently, this wasn't convincing enough. There's a problem, however, you see, I continued. I didn't get an acceptance letter. For that matter, I didn't get a rejection letter either. I didn't even get put on a waiting list. But I want to get into your law school and graduate, or I can't become a lawyer someday. I thought I framed that situation pretty well. The dean shook my hand again and said, this is a competitive program, and unfortunately, we have to turn down many qualified candidates. Mercifully, he skipped the part about me being one of them. It was nice to meet you, he said, still shaking my hand. Once he broke his grasp, he put his hand on my shoulder and started moving me towards the door. His body language left nothing to be misinterpreted. I hope you have a good day, he offered as he began to slowly close the door. I had one chance to say one last thing before the dean disappeared into his paneled office, so I stopped the door with my foot and said, you have the power to let me in. I know all you have to tell me is go buy your books and I could be a student in the law school. It's that simple. You just need to say those words. He gave me half a grin indicating that it was a cute idea, but it wasn't going to happen. Then he closed the door. I'm sure he thought he was finished with me and could go on with the important business of training the law students who actually had potential. There was a bench in front of the dean's office. It reminded me of the bench that I frequently warmed in the principal's office during my elementary school. There were five days left before law school started, and I decided to park myself on that bench every day. Every time he passed, I would say to the dean, all you have to do is tell me, go buy your books. It was a last-ditch plan by a determined surfer. The The first time the dean walked by, he asked me why I was still there. I told him, that while I understood that he had turned down my application, I knew he had the power to let me in. All he had to do was say the words, go get your books. He smiled and walked away. I had a lot of time to think, about, think on the bench, day in, day out. I thought about other instances in the Bible when Jesus used his words to make things happen. As I sat on that bench, I still believed words had power when they were spoken by the right people. With four days to go before school started, I was back at my post, bright and early in the morning. Every time the dean passed in and out of his office, I would say, just tell me to go buy my books. He'd just nod, sometimes shake his head, sometimes completely ignore me, but always walk away. The same thing occurred day three, day two, and one day before the law school started. By the third and fourth day on the bench, I I knew everything about the dean's schedule. I knew when he took his bathroom breaks, his daily meetings, when he took breaks to go to the gym and returned. Every time he darkened the door of his office, I'd be sitting there smiling, waiting for him to say those words, words that could change everything for me. At the dawn of the day the law school started, I sprang out of bed. I just knew this was going to be a big day for me. At 7 o'clock in the morning, I was at my appointed bench. I watched all the smart kids arrive, bustling around, sizing each other up, their high-functioning din ricocheted off the marble walls and columns. I sat there eager to hear the words, but I didn't see the dean the entire day. I was dejected. My plan to make it into law school before the opening day hadn't worked. So I took a lap around the hall and decided that if I couldn't make it into law school before it started, I'd have to make it in afterwards and catch up later. The dean passed by a dozen times in the course of the second day. Just tell me to buy my books, I'd say every time he went by. 
And each time, nothing. Day two of the law school ending ended, as did day three. I was falling behind at a law school that I wasn't even accepted into yet. Day four, still nothing. On day five, for the first time, my hope was beginning to crater as I dragged myself to my perch. All the smart kids had settled into their routines and the rigors of law school, and the only noises that echoed off the walls were mine. Late in the afternoon, I heard the familiar footsteps of the dean walking towards the door. I glanced at my watch. This was a little early for him to be taking a bathroom break. There was nothing about this guy's schedule that I didn't know, and the footsteps stopped. Without a lot of fanfare, the dean turned the corner from his office. As usual, I prepared to say, just tell me to go buy my books. Something was different this time, though, because instead of avoiding me, he walked right over to me without saying anything. The dean just stood and towered over me. There was a long pause. The dean looked me squarely in the eyes, gave me a wink, and said the four words that changed my life forever, go buy your books. University of San Diego School of Law. <clears throat> I read that and I think, Bob Goff, he didn't lose faith. How do we do with prayer? Like, yeah, you know, I've been praying for that for a week. Ah, I've been praying for a month for that. I, I, I don't know. Persistent prayer. That, that verse in, in that verse 8, will, will Jesus, when Jesus returns, will he find us praying? Jesus said as he left, as he rose off the earth, he said, watch and pray. Keep on praying. Faith keeps us praying even when the answer is delayed. So we have yes, we have no, we have not now. <clears throat> and the final one, we have not like this. Not like that. <clears throat> there are many times when I pray and God answers, but it is not anything like I thought it would be. But he's God. He knows what he's doing way better than we do. I, I, I've prayed to God that he would help me love other people better. In my mind, I kind of thought the answer to that would be that God would give me a supernatural sense of loving people. And he'd just give me so much patience that I would just, it would just ooze out of me. And people would be like, oh, Brett, he's such a warm, cuddly guy. Ah. But he, did not, he has not answered that at all that way. You know how God's answered that prayer in my life that I would learn to love people? He puts hard people into my life intentionally. so that I will learn to love people. That must have been my wife's prayer because he put me in her life. And she has to love me. See, God answers all the time, but it isn't always how we think it will be. I think uh, my fear in a prayer series will be that we will walk away and think, all right, fine, I know about prayer, without making any life change. And... James was pretty clear that if we see the word and we don't do anything about it, it's, it's worthless. It's like a man who looks at his face in the mirror 
sees he's got spaghetti on his face and then walks away and forgets about the spaghetti. Why'd you look in the mirror? So the question is, what do we do with this? So what? So here are four applications specifically today. This week, would you commit to raising a priority of prayer in your life? That every time you get in your car or truck, instead of turning on the radio, you spend that time praying. No radio. Obviously, that's weird if you're with somebody. But if you're alone, prayer time. Alone in the car, prayer time. Would you commit to doing that? Raising a priority level of prayer in your life? That is an easy one. That is low-hanging fruit. I get distracted pretty easily, so I pray out loud. It tends to help me. I look weird at stoplights, but they probably think I'm singing. Try that. Here's, here's another one. Would you commit <clears throat> to establish a time and a place for prayer every day this week? A time and a place. <clears throat> Just establish that and say, this week... For seven days, I'm going to pray every morning at, well, it doesn't matter, <clears throat> such and such a time at this spot. If you put a time and a place, it will help you establish a time of prayer. My, my family, we pray at 9-11 every night. We have prayed at 9-11 every night since the towers were hit, September 11th. just kind of came about that at 9-11 with a moment of silence, I said to my, I just had a couple little kids at the time, and I said, we need to pray for our country. 20 years later, we're still praying at 9-11 every night. And all my kids, you'll see them, bow their heads, and they'll pray for our country. All right, that's a goofy one. That's just, a, that's just something we made up. But, but a time and a place, is, that's, that's crucial to establish prayer as a pattern of your life. Third one, would you commit to starting a prayer journal and write down, record the times, record what you've prayed and then record when God answers. You want to grow in your faith for prayer? Write stuff down. You will see God's faithfulness. God is just as faithful today, it's just we don't keep track of it very well. If you keep track of it, you'll be shocked at how God answers. Maybe, maybe you need to start a blessing box as a family and keep track that way. Finally, would you commit to begin praying for someone who is far from God? Maybe someone that you've given up on. <clears throat> maybe you prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and you finally just gave up. Maybe it's time to add them back to the list and say, okay, God, I'm doubling down. Because God answers prayer. He is not an evil judge. He is a loving Heavenly Father. Sometimes he answers yes, sometimes he answers no, sometimes he answers not now, and sometimes he answers not that way. But he answers his children. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder that you are a loving Heavenly Father and that you... 
really, really do love to answer yes when we pray. Please help us to trust you in our prayers that when we don't see the answer we want, that we wouldn't lose faith in you, but that we would remember who you are and remember what you've promised. Father, I I pray that you would help each of us to do a better job of keeping track of your faithfulness in our lives. If not for us, for our children, for our grandchildren, for the legacy we want to leave, thank you so much for being a big God. Thank you for loving us so much. You're so faithful to us even when we're not faithful to you. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.